We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> and we are back here. Welcome everyone to this place, which of course is called My Bloody Podcast. Hooray, it's another week, another horror show. My Bloody Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Coming at you, I'm Brian Kluger with BoomstickComics.com and High Def Digest. Dot com, and I am joined by the man who creeps in the sewers, the man who creeps behind the closed doors and can shapeshift into anything, Preston Botta from FreshFiction.tv and the Denton Record Chronicle. What's up, my Pennywise man? I'm doing good, Brian. <laughs> I actually really like that voice. <laughs> Have you done that to row yet? Um, I have done some unique voices around him. I, during story time every night, I generally do a bunch of different accents. Okay, okay. Well, it's uh, like I, I wanted to be a voice actor and it, and it didn't pan out for me. So I just put on private shows for my family. Well, I want a private show. <laughs> I like it. I, 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 I bet you do. I do. Uh, yeah, but my bloody podcast, new, new episode today, uh, our main feature is the new film, It Chapter 2, we'll be talking about that extensively and kind of comparing it to Chapter 1, which came out a, a year or so ago, and, uh, of course, we've got bloody questions, bloody recommendations, but first, the bloody bits of news, Preston. It's an interesting week of news, all sorts of things to talk about. But first, came out just an hour ago on them internets, the Black Christmas trailer. We've had two Black Christmas movies, the original one, the one from a few years ago, and now the all-new remake from Blumhouse Pictures. Black Christmas, we are very excited about this movie, however... When I watched the trailer just a few minutes ago, oh my god, they just saved me $15. I don't have to fucking see the movie anymore because they showed everything. Everything. Yeah. Why do they do this? How I don't, have they I, not learned? I don't know. Uh, as we talked in the past about this film when we first heard of it, its existence, there was a lot of things that were that had me uh, very curious about it. Uh, one of them being that it's, uh, I believe, I, 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 is it the first Blumhouse movie that's directed by a woman? Sophia Tacall? Is it? I, I feel like that, she, she, well, if she's not, then she's one of the few. Because, you know, we discussed in the past also that uh, Jason Blum was under fire for a little while for not hiring a lot of female directors. So I don't know. I was just interested in like what Sophia Tacall could bring to this film, which the 1974 film is probably my favorite slasher film of all time. 
I feel like I'm echoing a lot of things, but just to kind of catch some of the people who may have not listened to some of the past episodes, I was curious if they were, if this movie was going to be set in modern day. I didn't do a lot of digging, but uh, after watching the, the trailer that just came out, it is set during modern day. We see the and, iPhone. Yeah, we see the iPhone. And so uh, that had me... It, the the idea of that being a possibility worried me because, I mean, I liked, as I mentioned before, the scene in the 1974 film where, you know, it takes time for them to kind of trace the call. And then so now I wonder, because things can be a little more immediate and phones are literally in everybody's pocket and it's not just like one singular phone, but it seems like this trailer's direction or what the goal that they had in mind was to show you that it's completely different from the 1974 film we, we see that there's a, a cult involved uh, and uh, Carrie Ells is it's going to be weird watching it and being like oh he's supposed to be like this good guy and then now we know that he's a bad guy um, and then they have like this whole underground society going on and multiple people could be the killer um so in in i don't know how much of a crazy person uh locked up in the the attic is gonna play a part in this if at all so now i'm worried yeah the the trailer just it's so terribly edited it looks so cliche and stupid and None of it works. Like it's you're just, even the music. You're just like, oh god, here we go. And it, uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm wrong. But I'll say this: I, I'm not excited I, for it anymore. Yeah, I've never seen the 2006 one. Uh, have you, Brian? Yes, I have. Right, right. When does, it came does it out. does it feel any? I mean, because this watching this, it kind of feels like a mid 2000s kind of horror film. Yes, it does. It kind of it, it has like kind of similar aspects to it, but uh, I mean, it's a it's a little different with this one. Like I guess in sort of cinematography and stuff like that. There's a lot of neon lights in this one, which mm-hmm. I kind you know I've seen before in other Christmas movies using that to the horrific ex- uh, aspect or horrific intent. But the yeah this. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I just wish take your cues from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining trailer where the blood flows from the elevators. Perfect trailer, simple, and it gets you hooked. Like why can't we be more like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean they could have just focused on the mystery of the first kill or something like that versus showing literally the whole plot. They they showed the whole plot. I think they showed every single death in the movie and I, I Yeah. Know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a long discussion that James Cole Clay and I have who writes at Fresh Fiction TV with me, and uh, we often talk about, like, oh, should we watch trailers? Uh, should we not, especially when it's, like, properties that really mean a lot to you? And this was one that does mean a lot to me, and so I was a little apprehensive about checking it out, but it's also kind of important for me, especially as somebody who speaks on this podcast, that I – do those sorts of things. And now it it sucks that I feel like I know so much about it, but I'm still going to see it. I'm going to give it room to wow me if it can, but I'm going to do my best to try to go into it with an open mind and not think too much about uh, certain characters being ghosts 
and I'm going to be like, oh, they die. Um, <laughs> so it, it really bums me out, but I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to give it a chance. We'll see. Yeah. I'm not excited for it. So, so if it, it was like, <laughs> if it ended up being the secret screening at Fantastic Fest, you'd be like, would you leave? If that was no, I probably wouldn't leave because I, you know, I'm I'm curious, but I'm not excited about it. You know, I think, you know, oh my goodness, if that's the secret screening, how what a letdown that would be. <laughs> do, so, do you think that? Um, I don't know if it's Universal that has more control of this. I, I can't. I don't know if they're the other studio. Usually, that's how it goes. Blumhouse and Universal working together to distribute a film or Blumhouse makes it and then Universal will put it out. But if Universal had more control of this trailer and then that's how it was just kind of pieced together. And I wonder if Jason Blum's like, ah, fuck too much. No, I mean, I, you have to think like somebody who's cutting the trailer. I mean, that person should be not, should be let go, should be sacked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, generally most how it works is that studios will, give the footage to five to 10 companies, sometimes way more. And they'll, and it's like a competing thing. It's the same thing where, where I work companies will sometimes ask us to create something, design something, they'll send it to somebody else and then let the best person win type of thing. And that's usually how it works. Well, how did this one win? And what are the other ones that are so terrible? Somebody up there, somebody at universal or somebody had to have cleared it and then was like, all right, this is what we have to do. Oh my goodness. Black Christmas trailer. (laughs) Yeah. But coming out December 13th this year. There you go. Time for Christmas. Um, move on to some bit of other news. Uh, so, I recently got in the Warner Brothers Archive classics, The Witches, from uh, the early 90s, the the scary children's film starring Angelica Houston about witches, but it looks like they're um, remaking it, and production has wrapped on Warner Brothers' The Witches, which is a reimagining of Roald Dahl's beloved story. Uh, and Anne Hathaway will be uh, the High Grand Witch, the Grand High Witch, uh, replacing Angelica Houston. But uh, and of course Robert Zemeckis is doing this. But uh, did you did you read like this story about how kind of it will um, be... be more in line with the original source material, not so much Jim Henson's film? Right, right. What do you think about yeah. that? When it comes to remakes, I, I mean, I generally want them to be different but this is also a common thing that i see a lot with remakes is that oh yeah we're trying to be closer to the source material and then you go and see it and it ends up being a colossal piece of shit so i wonder if this is just like putting stuff out there to be like hey this is going to be different but it's still gonna abide by some of the things that are i guess best about the jim henson film so i don't know the idea of zemeckis doing a movie like this doesn't exactly put out anything that i've really liked in a while so it's it's funny to see the quote visually innovative being thrown around with his name right now it's yeah it's interesting because it's like it's co-written and produced by guillermo del toro and you know like Preston said, a colossal piece of shit, which is pretty funny because if you just look at the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory scenario, the 
Tim Burton version was supposed to be closer to the book, but that was terrible. I'm glad they changed it with the Gene Wilder version. Yeah. So this this version is supposed to be much darker. And but again, what I liked about the Jim Henson one was kind of the lightheartedness to it, in addition to the kind of scarier aspects. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I can't really provide like my full thoughts on it until I start to see a trailer to get an idea of what tone, this kind of darker tone that they're going for. Because right now when I'm thinking Anne Hathaway in a, in a movie that's like a remake, I'm picturing her flowery uh, um, from, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland or something like that. And that's not what I want to envision. I, I, I like the idea of it being darker and I, I hope that Zemeckis can, you know, return to form and then bring or I guess live up to that visually innovative title that's being attached to this film with his name on it. Yeah, I am curious to see where it goes because, again, we both like the original film. But that's for another day. So this is coming out October next year, 2020? Yes, we got about a little more than a year. and So I would... Maybe, do you think, production is wrapped, maybe they'll show a trailer in October, like a teaser or something for it? Uh, possibly, since he is somebody who likes to experiment a lot with, I guess, trying to achieve seamless CGI. I, I, I would think it would be closer to probably Christmas that we would see something. Okay, there you go. So, moving on, another bit of news. In, in Midsommar bit of news this week, we tend to talk about Midsommar quite a bit. The extended director's cut of Midsommar, which is now three hours long, will be exclusively available and released for Apple TV and iTunes. So, Preston, I believe you watch this, right? Yes. It's the way to go, right? Correct. So, the this version, so the Blu-ray is coming out uh, on home video, Um or on Blu-ray very soon on September 24th and October 8th. September 24th being on digital and October 8th being the physical copy of the Blu-ray. So very soon, and it's a bare-bones release. There's really nothing on there as far as bonus features and not even the director's cut. However, I'm trying to figure out the confusing wording here, but it looks like if you download the um, digital copy to iTunes you can get the director's cut. It'll come with the director's cut. However, most A24 stuff is not with uh, not with iTunes. So I don't know what to think here, unless it's through uh, Movies Anywhere. I, I have no idea where to go unless like, you have to strictly buy it on iTunes. Yeah, I guess we're in this transition now since, uh, uh, what is it called, the... Uh, Violet, what was ultraviolet. the ultraviolet. ultraviolet? That was what worked with A24 films for the longest time. So this could just be them making that transition, and that's probably how they'll go forward. Or it could just be just an exclusive deal with this movie that they made. Well, yeah, I don't get it. At, at this point, it's high demand. It is, but it's it's ridiculous. Just release it everywhere, you know. You know that's you know Hollywood complains about pirating, and they create it like. Yeah, I yeah. would pirate this. <laughs> yeah, you know, just because, like, why are you doing this? There's so many people that don't use Apple, and why would you do this? <laughs> yeah, I imagine because most of the time they develop the Blu-ray 
or the home video release at the same time that it's like coming out in theaters. Like a lot of the times you'll see that I've interviewed people in the, in the past for contemporary films. And then they'll say, yeah, I just did the audio commentary like last week. So they'll do a lot of those extras and make the disc and they have it like set to go already. And so they don't have that time because they've probably already created the product to add that director's cut. But I don't know how long that director's cut's been assembled since they just released it theatrically for a a one-week engagement. But yeah, it's pretty upsetting that we're getting a very bare-bones release of Midsommar on Blu-ray. I hate that. Even the extras are very weak. I think there's just like one little promo and then one probably like two to five minute behind the scenes featurette. Yeah, EPK, electronic press kit that does nothing, adds no value. Yeah. So I, I and you think with this movie that there would be something like it is, and why not release the director's cut? Like just just do it. And uh, yeah, I you know at this point I I kind of expected it to come out in a very sloppy way like this. And then I hope that somewhere down the line they actually do release it in physical form with a director's cut. And then we can have, like, film historians and things like that because I, I probably Ari Aster doesn't want to speak about a lot of his intentions making the film. But other people can comment on it, and I think that would make it an interesting release and then get some of the actor's perspective and... So I hope we get like an ultimate release of this sometime pretty soon. Well, let's let's hope, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. So moving on to another bit of interesting news. The new upcoming film Zombieland 2 called Zombieland Double Tap bringing back everybody. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Woody Harrelson... Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin. Uh, so I guess Ruben Fleischer, the director of the original one and this new one, ha- was talking to somebody and said that if you wait till after the credits, you'll see a very big surprise. <laughs> so I wonder... Uh, what, and that's what, the news. That's it. So I, I wonder if what it is. Like, do you think it'll be Bill Murray as a zombie? Do you think that... They'll like cross paths with the Walking Dead characters. Like, I, what do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's no telling. I want some movie to get as ridiculous as that uh, news headline that we had a couple years ago when after Twenty Two Jump Street came out, and they were talking about making like a Twenty One Jump Street uh, oh, Men in Black crossover. Yes. And so I, I want something like that. I want a movie to get as ridiculous as. As that, because at that, if they made like a Zombie Land three at a certain point, I feel like the wheels are, are spinning. And I think there's, you know, it being ten years, there's, you know, a lot has probably happened over that time. So there's like things to explore. But beyond that, I just don't know what more they could really do with it, if unless they start hopping uh, universes and things like that. So I, I'd be all on board for them to just. I don't know, pour whiskey and snort a line of cocaine in the the product that they would release for the third one in terms of how crazy it could get. Right, right. Yeah, I'm I am um 
definitely interested in this, like, because I really love the first one. I'm pretty sure I'll like the second one, and just some of the cameos and how just highly entertaining the first one was. I just think it'll it'll do well here. So hopefully it makes a bunch of money so we can get more um, more more movies of this in this universe. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there you go. We'll we'll update you soon, and that movie comes out very soon, like this year, right? Yeah, October, yeah. I believe. Cool. Uh, and in another bit of news, we have to talk about which sounds like so much fun. This movie looks right up my alley, and uh, yeah, it, the movie is called Killer Sofa, <laughs> and it's uh, about a sofa that will eat you, but develops a relationship with a girl <laughs> this this lazy boy this killer lazy boy chair falls in love with a girl and then all sorts of hell breaks loose where the the sofa eats people and you know i'm in <laughs> i'm in I'm into that trailer is hilarious. It's better than the Black Christmas trailer. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> yeah, just seeing the shots of the, the the sofa, which has these two button eyes, and like you'll see like the woman like turn to look up at the second story window from her street, and then you see the the two black eyes like looking out the window, <laughs> and then it's just like everybody's playing it straight. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're leaning into it like in a Sharknado kind of way, that sort of meta level. But this one just looks like, hey, we got a really ridiculous premise. We're just going to have fun with it, and it looks like a really good time. It does, and there's a lot of Jewiness to it too. Jewiness. <laughs> there is. Uh, a disgraced rabbi comes across a reclining chair containing a divic inside. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's right up my alley. I wonder if I can talk to a rabbi I know and talk about, hey, you ever come across a haunted chair with a Dybbuk inside? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. In the poster for this movie, I really want a double-sided one sheet of this poster. Yeah. I mean, it's of this lazy boy, which is clearly photoshopped by somebody's cousin, but it looks really good, though. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's like this... this this lazy boy with sharp, bloody teeth looking at you. But it looks like something, you know, like, oh, here's an actual picture of a lazy boy. And then we just kind of added effects to it. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Oh, it's funny. Don't sit on the furniture is the tagline. But check out Killer Sofa. Oh, my goodness. Uh, please, Preston, can we watch this together digitally in October? Yeah, I really hope so. I, I just want to see a death scene where it, it just folds back forth and then just, like, breaks the bones of whoever's <laughs> in the chair, amongst many other things. Oh, my goodness. The, the possibilities. Oh, I can't wait. I hope it's bloody as hell. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> okay, there we go. And, and the... And then we got to get a sequel, Killer Tofu, yes. for any Doug fans out there. There you go, Killer Tofu. Duh, duh, duh. So it's interesting because the, the movie's called Killer Sofa, but it's a lazy boy, right? Yeah. So is it a sofa? I don't know. Maybe they got confused, but 
I it looks great. So um, I can see the headlines already. Sofa King, awesome or yeah, something. Yeah, Sofa King. Say Sofa King. Yes, that's good stuff. Um, and I believe that rounds out our bloody bits of news. Correct, or do we have anything else? No, I think that's it. I mean, they released the shorts for Fantastic Fest, but that's not an area that I tend to focus on. Right. Um, unless, uh, you know, they play before some of the films at uh, dur- during like any of the screenings that they have at Fantastic Fest, because one of my favorite shorts that I saw. The chickening? Yeah, I do remember the chicken name, but it was that that answering machine one. Oh yes, the answering machine one. I remember that. That was a great one. Yeah, that it kind of paid homage to uh, something that Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass did for like their first short film that played at Sundance. But uh, yeah, I love that that short. So um, I'm sure they're going to add some of those to the screening room that we have, uh, the online screening room that press could have access to. And so we just kind of play it by ear and then uh, watch them. But it's it's something that I don't generally get super excited about from the announcement of the release. But uh, after seeing them at the festival, I tend to get more excited about them. I like it a lot. The chickening, my favorite. But um, let's move on to bloody questions. We're very excited about this bloody question today. It's going to be a fun one. And maybe like a... Like it makes you think a little bit, uh, but this bloody question is where we ask a horror-themed question, we answer it, we bring it to Reddit, we read some of the responses we get because we love our listeners and our readers. Preston came up with this amazing question today. Preston, give some insight. So the, the question that I generally like to ask a lot of the people that I interview is the, the lessons that they learn from the material that they're a part of. And so this is something that's always kind of fascinated me. Uh, and it's the reason why we discuss the horror movies that we do, because we like to pick apart the meanings and like uh, make sense of it all. What is, how does it reflect uh, our, our society? And so um, the question that I'm posing this week in relation to both IT films, IT Chapter 1 and IT Chapter 2, is what life lesson from a horror movie has had the most meaning in your life and why? Uh, this could be like the, the first lesson that you can recall from a horror movie that you watch where you're like, huh, um, I'm going to apply that to my life in some way. Or it, has, it gives you a new perspective on life. I guess I'll go first. Most of the stuff that, I guess most of the question, the the answer that I give to most of the questions that we pose is tied to Jaws in some way. But a lot of horror movies um, kind of deal with this. So you can, you can add it to like most horror films where characters go through some uh, traumatic experience together, some horrifying experience. And it's about, overcoming that that horror um by being together and so i guess with jaws you know they they, it's about them working together to try to conquer this evil just the idea of oh a true friend is somebody who doesn't run away but will be there for you through the hardest experiences in your life so that that's the most meaningful life lesson that i've taken away from any horror movie really or most horror films, but Jaws in particular, because that just kind of taught me that 
yeah, uh, a true friend is somebody who will just be there by your side and you'll go through that thing together. And sometimes, you know, like it, you won't be, you know, in close capacity or sometimes you might drift apart from those friends. But usually when you like reconnect, it's like no time has passed at all. That's that's what has the most meaning to me. Interesting. Jaws, I would say that don't fuck with sharks. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but I feel like that comes with birth. Oh, there you go. Okay. I get it. All right. Would you like to know mine? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any clue? <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's something very wild. Uh, so if you know me, my favorite movie, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead. The Evil Dead taught me a few things, but the main thing is, if you come across something and you don't know what it is, for fuck's sake, don't touch it or read it. <laughs> Go yeah. away far as possible. If you're in an abandoned basement or something you see something that's wrapped up or... You shouldn't be touching. By God, don't do it. Just walk away. <laughs> and it's, the same can be said for something like paranormal activity. Don't instigate. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> don't, don't. Uh, yes. So, yeah, that's my, that's my life lesson. If I see something, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to mess with it. So, yep. but we should uh, read some of the Reddit, the Reddit responses, right? Yes, please. Oh, I'm so excited. There's some fun ones. So, uh, Bozak Supertramp uh, said, Texas Chainsaw Massacre taught me to respect others' privacy. <laughs> good. That's pretty good. Uh, JerazZN94 said, Probably Baba Duke, in knowing the need to directly confront what causes despair in order to sort of exercise it. Hmm. Not bad, like right? Yeah, very thoughtful. Horror Kablam Dude said, You can't run from your past forever, so you may as well confront it. Guilt will destroy you. Your gut instinct is always right, and communication is key. Uh, Riki Nashi said, Vincent Price's speech at the end of the Monster Club from 1981 taught me that humans are the most frightful of all monsters, because mm. it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kylib 2001 said never wear something that you can't run from someone in <laughs> I like that <laughs> I do like not, that too not a rope so yeah always it's just making me think of behind the mask right just like you know ha- have some sneakers put out yes. so you can uh, you know run when danger lurks in the shadows I like that uh, Batman's thong said Horror movies in general taught me to listen to my gut because it's rarely wrong. Also, don't trust shady kids. They're either demons or working for demons. <laughs> when another movie would be like, hey, you know, you might have more in common with them than you think. There you go. It's interesting. It's, yeah, it's conflicting. <laughs> Actum X Animo said, get out. The opposite of an extreme can be just as dangerously extreme. Spoilers, the family members aren't typical racists, but still buy into stereotypes about African Americans and try to exploit them for d- advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, Hairspray is fab, said, never run away from your problem or they will track you down. Never be a bad guy to anyone or the past will come back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Uh, Dr. Pretorios said, audition, if she has a secret roommate and a penchant for surgery, she's no good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Santa Sangre, if your mother worships an armless goddess, you might have issues. Psycho, a boy can love his mother too much. (laughs) (laughs) Inferno, don't drown cats during a lunar eclipse. (laughs) The old dark house, a storm is sometimes preferable to shelter. So interesting. And then Better Museum, my dad justified showing me it, the 90s miniseries, to my mother by saying, at least it's teaching her not to talk to strangers. And he was right. I've never once talked to a stranger in a sewer promise, promising me a circus, balloons, or floating. Still alive to this day. Thanks, Pop. <laughs> I like that one. Because uh, I, I have to agree that the, the 1990 TV film, It, was that movie that kind of taught me about that you really shouldn't talk to strangers because it could be just that particular scenario. Correct. Yeah, and then Sonny Zach said, never behave badly to strangers. And that uh, that was some pretty good ones. Reddit? Yeah. That was, that yeah. was some pretty good ones. Yeah, I, 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 liked, I liked all those answers. Yeah, they those were good. They were good. <laughs> and, and funny. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, well played. If you want to tell us any other suggestions, email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com. But now on to bloody recommendations where, of course, we mention a a horror movie, either from the past or from present, and we just want to tell you about it, to watch it, relive it, re-see it, just because we we think you'll enjoy it. So, Preston, bloody recommendation. should be no surprise to you that I'm going to recommend the director's cut of Midsommar. (laughs) For fuck's sake, again, Midsommar. Yeah, it, 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 we're just going to keep it alive. Experience Midsommar, Ari Aster's unrated director's cut. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I wanted to share it. Featuring new footage. Is it scary? Plus extended scenes. And who decides what gets added? Aster's director's cut in select theaters this weekend. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I know you haven't seen it yet, Brian, so I won't talk about too much about it. But uh, you know, it it was a very rewarding experience. I did like the theatrical cut quite a bit. It's it's not necessarily the film that you're expecting coming off of Hereditary, which I think is a a, a more masterfully made film that has more immediate effects while this is going to be a movie that's going to have legs and we're going to still be discussing it. But I think we'll be discussing it even more because there's more there for this director's cut. Uh, it's 170 minutes long, I believe. So it's about 30 minutes longer. And I saw this uh, over the weekend and I was also very sick, but I, I did start to feel better and then immediately got sick after but I was just dying to know like what has been changed, what they've added. What they've added is mo- a lot of its extended sequences from moments that are already there. And the theatrical cut, the most important ones are 
simple discussions between Danny, who is uh, Florence Pugh's character, and Jack uh, Rayner's character, Christian. For a movie that is so heavily about this kind of like toxic relationship and then like this cult and the things that are surrounding them kind of reflecting that inner turmoil and i feel like the discussions the the deeper discussions that they have really light that fire and make the impact of the film have a greater impact and so you can kind of just feel more for danny's character and you can have a better understanding of christian's character and so it's it's just strange after seeing it that you think back on the theatrical cut and you're like, man, they really neutered that. And I hate that. But they also have like a one scene that just was flat out, just like not in the movie at all. There was no hint at that this was going to be something that they explored. And so I, that, that was one of the things that I was predicting or I was theorizing like, oh, what, what could really make up this 30 minutes? I mean, there's more days of the festival that they didn't get to. Because I think we only explore maybe like three or four days, yeah, out of the nine. And it's like a of the nine. They don't explore more days, but they explore more activities within those days. Because at that point, they've kind of gotten to like the most interesting things. So if they were to, I don't know if there's like more beyond after what happens at the end of the film that those more days happen. Like what happens with that? It probably just, you know, spoiler alert, furthers the bond of what. What, what happens and so or i guess of danny's character at the with this cult that, that's that's all i'll say about the extended sequence it kind of adds more to the paranoia of the characters and them kind of second guessing more so about why they're there while other characters would just be so fascinated with what's going on that they they become completely absorbed in it that they don't want to leave this because it's so fascinating and one of a kind when Danny's character will be like, guys, you need to wake up that this is a pagan cult and I don't think they have any intention on letting us leave after seeing the things that we've seen. And so it, it adds more humanity to it. So it doesn't feel so much like who in their right fucking mind would be, this is, this is where I should stay. Like this, this is so fascinating and it's going to be great. It's going to be a breakthrough work. I would be reacting just like you were talking about in your bloody question of the week answer, which is no, it is not worth it. (laughs) But I feel like this makes it more interesting that you can better understand why some of those characters would want to stay. And then some of the, and, and you get more into uh, I guess uh, with the audience, how audiences would probably react to this sort of situation. So you feel that tug of war going on a little bit greater. So uh, yeah, I really loved this. I feel like it, it could have been longer to me. I think this is one movie that, you know, I've heard a lot of people say like, ah, I was boring. I did. I just didn't get into it. But I think that I just really got into, even though some of the characters can be, it's a, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Next Stop, uh, Greenwich Village, which the characters are very scholarly and pretentious a little bit. And they, they were represents like this new age of people kind of being like that goodwill hunting character with the ponytail who's so book smart. But when it comes to like to reality, like things that are very tangible, they don't really know how to 
deal with that because they just have all the text. And so, I don't know, I just find it really fascinating, and I, and I think that this director's cut is a very rewarding experience and should be the way that it should be seen if you haven't seen it yet. So, I, it sucks that the way that you have to see it at this point, since it's, I guess it's it's already gone from theaters, uh, is going to be through iTunes, but... Um, I, it, it's worth making those, uh, going through that obstacle to make it happen. Well, I do want to see it and I'm sure I will see it at some point and I'm can't, I actually looking forward to it. I hate to admit it. Yeah. I, 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 I can see it, uh, depending on how the rest of the year goes that it can make my top 10 of the year, but there's a lot of a 24 films this year that, I just, it's like the type of literature that I love and with like High Life, The Souvenir and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And there's more A24 movies that are coming out this year with Waves and Uncut Gems and The Lighthouse. I feel like my entire list is just going to be A24 movies and then people are going to be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? This guy just loves A24. But I really think that they just know that... Uh, that they're just putting material out there that's just so lasting and is going to be the movies that I think the most about. And so uh, I have no problem putting Midsommar, the director's cut, in amongst my films if it ends up actually uh, hanging in there. But for now, it's there. All right. That's the bloody recommendation. Uh, get it in September, in a week or so, and let us know what you think. Um, my bloody recommendation is not Midsommar related, but it is a 1989 horror film called Out of the Dark. Hello? Hello? This is Karen. Who's this? This is your friendly Dr. Bobo. You killed her! I told you to stay away from my girls, but you couldn't listen to me! Jeffrey Lewis, Cameron Dye, Karen Black, Bud and Tracy Walter. Hello, LMPD. Lieutenant Myers, homicide division, please. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Myers, on vacation. Can someone else help you? Out of the dark. From 1989. Have you heard of this, Preston? Uh, it's a pretty generic title, but, uh, I, I, I might, if, after you explain it a little bit more. So in relation to it, the movie, uh, follows kind of a group of women who work as the phone sex hotline people and each of them are being killed by a killer in a clown mask. And it's like part comedy, part kind of erotic uh, porn and part horror. Um, it the, So interestingly enough, the movie was directed by Michael Schroeder, but more importantly, uh, the cinematographer was Julio McCat, who I believe was, this is his only horror film. He went on to be the director of photography, the cinematographer um, for movies like Home Alone <laughs> and a bunch of very family-friendly uh, blockbuster comedies still to this day and but from this one he's it's so 
and it's so weird. Karen Black, the horror uh, heiress, uh, Karen Black is in it as well as Bud Court and Divine from Female Trouble and Pink Flamingos. Actually, this was her last movie she did. And the movie is just, it's so weird, but fun. And it doesn't take itself, like, too seriously. And the the killer, like, talks and, like, says one-liners. Because back in 1989, with the success of Nightmare on Elm Street, you had people saying one-liners after they killed people. So they kind of went that route. And it's just, it's fun. It's a fun movie. And it's very hard to find. The last time I watched this was in the early 2000s. And I've just been wanting this to be released on like a blu-ray of some sort just because it's it's a good movie it's still like it's like from for its time and like still today they don't make anything like this right now and it's oh oh my goodness scream factory or arrow please put this out out of the dark uh, about you know a group of women led by karen black who do the phone sex thing uh are being stalked by a killer in a clown mask who yells out obscenities it's uh pretty good and the the, the clown's name is bobo <laughs> and then a couple of police detectives are on the uh on the case so uh yeah and if you want and, and divine is one of these uh detectives who's completely out of the uh her her dress and makeup so it's kind of fun to see him the character in, in, in this role. But yeah, please, um, if you can seek it out, Out of the Dark from 1989, not the 2000 movie that has nothing to do with this, but the 1989 movie, Out of the Dark, please check that out. Uh, Preston, Cole, if you're listening, I think you would like this movie. Cool. <laughs> so uh, I think that brings us to our main event today, It Chapter 2. Hello. Made if it ever comes back, we'll come back too. Take it. It kills monsters. If you believe it does. Let's kill this clown. It, chapter two. Rated R. Oh my goodness. So it chapter one came out a couple years ago. And everybody really loved it. It made a fuck ton of money, and meaning that rated R horror sells. And then this put on Stephen King back on the map of like, oh, let's literally remake every Stephen King movie we can. Um, And now we have It Chapter 2, which I would imagine is going to make a few hundred million dollars, uh, directed by Andres Muschietti. Screenplay by Gary Doberman, based on the Stephen King book, of course. Doubling its cast, uh, the adult as uh, the adult kids as well as the young kids again. So, first off, here in this movie, Gary Doberman is writing the sequel, and I am not a fan of anything Gary Doberman because he's the one that wrote The Nun and The Curse of La Leorna as well as the first Annabelle. It just seems like he's not doing a good job. But then again, here we are with It Chapter 2. 
And but he wrote Annabelle Creation, and that he one was did. Right. But I gotta think that was. Eh, eh, I don't know. I, 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 all I gotta say is, so I guess from our standpoint, we both enjoyed it. Chapter one. There were flaws with it. Chapter one, mainly from my point of view, that it was a very redundant movie. The scares were cheap. It wasn't scary, but the the camaraderie and the friends and the the comedy throughout the kids was really good. And then I think Skarsgård as Pennywise was great. I I enjoyed it. And then we get it chapter two, which is now three hours long. And oh god, they really need to cut out an hour and a half of that movie because it is the same type of movie, and they just got a lot of things wrong with it. However, there was a lot of good things in it. And so where in it chapter two, when things work, they really earn it. Like they, it's, it's satisfying in regards to gore and Skarsgård and the adult cast. Um, the casting decisions here was unbelievably good, but yeah, it's, it's, it's uncanny that they look so much like the younger Yeah, cast. like if there was like an award to be given to a casting director, give it to IT Chapter 2 casting director <laughs> because, oh my goodness, it's that good. Um, because Bill Hader is excellent as Richie, and then what's his name um, who plays Eddie? Oh, uh, James Ransom. Yeah, he, who, he, yeah. He, he was in, uh, uh, what was that he, movie that... Well, James Ransom, you would probably most know him if you watch HBO's The Wire, one of the greatest shows ever made. He was um, Spotka's kid. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, it was Tangerine. Oh, was yeah, Tangerine. Tangerine, yes. Yeah, yes. but he looks like Jim Carrey a little bit. He does a little bit, but if I mean, he looks like, like very Italian, but um, he was in the second season of The Wire, and if you've never seen... The Wire, I mean, it's the best show ever made, but he played Ziggy Spotka in one of the the show's most beloved characters and most tragic characters, but um, he just, just owns it in this role with his, his medicine, his in, inhaler and everything. You just, like, you're like, wow, how did they get this? All his nervous tics. Right. No, they, so that works with this movie, but there's so much that does not work with it chapter two with me and i've got to say like i guess my my overall takeaway line in my review of it chapter two would be it has golden moments of horror and comedy but it comes at a very exhaustive and taxing price um so i don't know if preston enjoyed it more than i did but did you uh i would say so so you you enjoy this more because i was just ready for it to be over and i was like oh my god why is this scene here it made no sense for it to be here it went nowhere why do they keep adding this why do they keep on having pennywise shapeshift into other monsters because the clown works itself you know i i and then having to go through each character individually twice in this movie again was so dull and boring to me i i couldn't get over it so I don't know. That, that's where I'm standing for. Without getting the spoilers, that's sure. where I'm standing from in this movie. What about you? I definitely say it's a problematic film. There's there's a lot 
there's a lot of weight on this film because the like you said, and I think you did a good job of de- of describing uh, it, chapter one from 2017. In that, I think a lot of the horror elements of that film don't exactly work well. I feel like it's just more like shocking imagery or, or striving to be shocking imagery, like uh, the decapitated zombie thing that's chasing Ben around uh, the library and stuff like that. Where I'm like, I don't have any attachment to this horror because you didn't take the time to build that suspense and build that dread. And it was like the same thing we've seen in movies. It's some character walking quietly somewhere. And then all of a sudden loud noise, scary guy comes at you fast and then that's it. And it rinse and repeat for eight times. Yeah. And and the things that work best to me, um, and and I hate to make it personal with uh, my sleep paralysis, but it's, uh, you know, when he's coming out, when Pennywise is coming out of the fridge and then he's like spin, uh, bending around in a very abnormal way. Uh, that's the stuff of nightmares. But I think once it like shows like that, that leprosy stricken guy with Eddie and stuff like that, uh, it just didn't work for me. And, and, and a lot of the horror, I, I would say that this movie is more effective with its scares, but there's a lot of them. And so probably half of them work or probably less than half work um, in the way that I was wanting, because it it does. I I noticed in some scenes like uh, for one, the one that I that's coming to mind at the moment, even though it does fit in with what you were describing earlier about characters like why would you go if you're hearing noises, go down there, you would run which again is feeding into your answer from the bloody question. You know, when, uh, Eddie, the adult Eddie, um, or no, no, it's the, it's when he's a kid, it starts with him as an adult and then it it dips back into the past and shows him going down below this, uh, pharmacy to, cause he overhears his, he hears his mom calling for him and he goes down there and it has like all his fears of needles and, blood bags and shit like that and he sees his mom tied up to this chair and then you see you just kind of hear these chains and then you see like a a a ghost like figure of like a sheet over this body that's moving that one that part was good and how it ends is not necessarily as effective as that but i liked that sort of stuff but then you'll have a lot of other kind of silly horror moments that are a little more desperate in your face. And it's uh, uh, the one that is coming to mind is when Richie with Bill Hader and you see the Paul Bunyan figure. And then I'm just like, it's, it's, it's just not doing anything for me. Cause I, uh, I, I think it's good. What I do think is good here is, which I guess kind of goes against a little bit of what you were saying about, you know, we're, we're getting character introductions again. I'm interested in seeing how these characters accepted the trauma, didn't accept the trauma, how they were affected about by the experience from the summer of 89. The, the idea is that they, you know, they, they forget, you know, they've, they, they've been around, they haven't been in Dairy Maine except for one of them. And so that they, they've forgotten, but once they're reminded of that, it's that kind of affected me of seeing like how each of them like kind of have that moment of panic. And so I feel like a lot of that stuff with the characters 
is really good. I don't think the movie does the best job because it works in a book, and this becomes the big problem with text versus screen adaptations, is that I feel like this story is very hard to make for the screen because it it functions as a piece of literature or as a book because books have more leeway where you can jump back forth and pass and it doesn't feel as exhausting because you have those chapter moments and it's not meant for you to, well, I guess you can read it all the way through if you have 27 hours to kill reading Stephen King's book, but it has those chapters there to kind of offer that break. And so it makes it more fun and uh, less exhausting that it can, it can spin its wheels. It can be meandering, but it's more forgiving because it's putting you in that space because you don't have any images to give you any information. But when you're dealing with the screen, you have all those images. It's giving you all that image, all that information very fast. And so the idea of juggling between all these different characters, both past and present, on top of getting to know what the fictional town of Derry, Maine is like in the present day versus what it was like in the summer of 89. And uh, yeah, exactly how all these characters are and are operating in the, I guess, present day, which is technically 2016. So it's so much, and it's a bit exhausting to uh, go through all that. But I do uh, have to say, like, I tried to treat them as best as I could as individual segments where I could be fascinated with what Bill Hader's been doing, or or, or Richie has been as a stand-up comedian now, and um, the anxiety that he has of getting that phone call and then, uh, how a lot of these actors like, or, uh, characters as adults live very sad lives. Like none of them didn't have that happy ending really after the events of chapter one. And that's just kind of like a hit in the face moment that really kind of crushed me that, that I, I wanted them to succeed, but yet, you know, they always had that that fear and paranoia that was just there, even though they, did, they didn't have that conscience of connecting it to Pennywise, because at that point they forgot. But um, just, just everything of what's kind of going on with them psychologically was very fascinating to me. So if I – but that was me connecting right. it to yeah, the they- novel – for some of the for some reason like i i i get that and i i know i of course i'd like to see what they're all doing but i just think it was just done in just a very monotone way and where it just felt like okay here we go okay here we go and then they did the same thing when they had to confront their fears again and i just wasn't for that and i didn't care about him except I didn't care for anybody in the movie except for Bill Hader and uh Eddie and just because they were the most realistic to me and then one thing I could not I I can't um get around is that why Bill James McAvoy's character is still um still like front and center because he seems to have forgotten everything but then you had uh, Mike, uh, the black guy, and then Beverly, Mike, has been studying 
everything for 30 years. Yeah, Yeah, who's been studying everything for 30 years. And then Beverly, who kind of like had the, like she was like possessed by it uh, for a while in chapter one, but they don't, they they don't use them to a degree to kill them. It's kind of like uh, they just follow McAvoy around for the most part, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. I was like, oh no, I want to. I want more time with Mike and Beverly with that aspect. You know, mm, I, I might disagree a little bit because I really did like James McAvoy as Bill in this. Just his idea of guilt, like he never got over it, even though he, you think that he did at the end of chapter one when he has that image where Pennywise takes the shape of Georgie and then he has to like kill his past and kill that guilt yet he's still dealing with that guilt because it comes back in the form of this kid that lives in his childhood home now in 2016 and I was affected by that relationship because I I didn't know what to expect uh, how they were going to change things but you know when we were talking about the trailer and dissecting the trailer months ago, I was like, I, you see uh, Bill in this fun house and uh, this kid just trapped between and uh, he can't get him. He can't save him. And Pennywise is on the other side licking the, the mirror in this like hall of mirrors type of place. And it's a maze. And so it's that, that fear uh, I can relate to. I can relate to ideas of regret and guilt and feeling that responsibility because it was more guilt than just uh, he, he had to forgive himself. No, too. And, and, and I get and so, that. I like and that. So I was affected by that. I re- so the takeaway performances for me, I really thought James McAvoy was great in that part. I don't. I don't disagree with you that they probably could have explored. Uh, it a little deeper or found more interesting ways to make it, uh, to explore each of these characters because I was very surprised by Mike because Mike didn't really have much of a presence in the first chapter yet. He almost kind of takes on this leader responsibility. And, uh, I don't feel that bill is there, but, but he uses bill to, because he was the leader in the first one to kind of help motivate the rest of the, 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 the losers club to come on board with the, the plan that they have and that they want to put in motion. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think there is a lot of things that are interesting that are fascinating about all these characters. Um, but it does do a lot of rinse repeat, uh, with certain images you know, at the same time, they're dealing with a lot of the same sort of things that they haven't been able to let go of. And they, uh, Andy Muschietti does his best job to try to explore that a little deeper. Overall, I think the movie is is pretty – it's like half and half for me. I think there's a, a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of bad things about it or things that they could have done better. But yet I, I wasn't as bored with it as as you described. I mean, I can't imagine watching this movie again. I just oh, I uh, do want to. I do want to see it again. I can't. I um, can't imagine certain scenes. Yes, and then him talking about a, a bigger cut. I just feel like 
like, why was this not like a Haunting of Hill House type of thing? Have your seven-hour yeah, two it, it movies been. Very having, well been. yeah, have like seven episodes. You know, I think it would have played better in that aspect. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there that it could it could have like it, it's weird that to say you know a movie that's already three hours that more time could have done this. Uh, uh, it could have greatly benefited this story. And I, I agree because I, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying about the novel approach is that anything that's, you know, a miniseries, I feel like they, they become better adaptations when they have more time and they could have done something like where they explore character by character, uh, for an episode and we get to understand them greater versus like this kind of like rushed way that we are getting them. I just kind of concentrated a lot on the, like the subtlety of the subtle moments. Um, there's, I, I, if you've seen the trailer, you know, these, these, the, the adult characters come together and I was a little surprised with how emotional it got by the end. And I did feel it, feel it. Um, uh, especially like in moments where they're like just all holding each other so closely when they're facing this this evil, which feeds into what I was saying earlier with the answer to my bloody question. And that's my great takeaway from the film is that it had me thinking a lot about old friendships that you know, friends that were there for me in high school or in middle school, when you're kind of going through the most important years of your life that shape you into who you are, it made me want to kind of reconnect with a lot of, uh, a lot of them. And I have reconnected with a lot of my friends over the past couple of years. Cause it's been something that's been on my mind as I watch my son grow is I'm a very nostalgic person. I like to think a lot about my experiences and how they shaped me in this movie kind of fed into that. And I think that's why I liked it is that it, it felt different enough because it, it deals more so with uh, reconnecting with old friends and how it, it did feel like, you know, when they have that dinner sequence of them eating Chinese food and like time has not passed for them uh, yet they can just be those giggly kids that have fun and, and it's great watching Bill Hader go off the cuff. And, and I liked that. I like, I like yeah. that. Yeah. It, it, it is a lot of fun. Cause you can see like a lot of Bill Hader's jokes because I love Bill Hader. I'm so fascinated so by his interviews that he does. Like I spend so much time on YouTube, like playing his interviews in the background because he's just so like, he just doesn't care. He laughs and he just enjoys life. And so getting those moments in this film that kind of seep through in his performance, make it great. Uh, like when he's making fun of, uh, Pennywise's movement, um, he's like, Oh, isn't that funny when he's like doing that? Um, so it, yeah, he, he's, he's the high highlight of the film, uh, being the comic relief and just kind of being there to, to pump the brakes on the heavy themes yeah, just overall, I it's just kind of down the middle for me. Like, I appreciate it, but I definitely agree with you that if they had more time and they could have done an episode per person, uh, it would be a, a much more significant adaptation. While this is just, like, it'll get you by, I think it's a fitting conclusion for what they've set up in the first film, which is, you know, the characters are what make it 
make it strong. And uh, Bill Skarsgård's performance as Pennywise uh, being terrifying. She, yeah, he was really good in this movie. However, they didn't use him a whole lot in the movie, which was very upsetting. He shapeshifted into a lot of other monsters that were so over-the-top ridiculous. And I, I was like in the theater thinking like, oh my God, just use the clown. He's way scarier in every scene, you know? And I mean, so, you could say the same thing about Freddy Krueger with uh, being in some of the some of the nightmare films and only being in it for about fifteen minutes or less, and then but his presence still feels large, and so I still felt his presence there. But yeah, he wasn't there enough. But when he does show up, God, like he's, the the, the funhouse sequence was really the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, and, that was good stuff. Uh, and under it, the bleachers and things like that, it was it was pretty terrifying. That that was good. Yeah, the gore is great here. Um, it's that that stuff works well. And if you have a chance to see this in IMAX, the sound in IMAX is excellent. And there was one scene where I looked over at Preston. I, he didn't look at me, but. They pay homage to John Carpenter's The Thing, even with the same dialogue. It's really funny, and you'll you'll see it in there. Uh, but that I'd imagine John Carpenter's like, well, all right, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, th- there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up that bothered me, and I want to see what what you thought about it, Brian. Uh, and it was the inclusion of uh, Henry Bowers, the bully, the local bully. Uh, I don't think. Uh, he should have been in this at all. Um, I felt like that was a bit repetitive and I just, it, it's what felt the silliest to me is um, it like this movie functions at its best to me when it's kind of operating very similarly to nightmare on Elm street where you're like, Oh, I don't know if this is reality or fantasy, but it's terrifying that it's toeing that line. Uh, walk in that line and with the inclusion of Henry Bowers, who is now uh, in psychiatric care for the killing of his father. uh, We learned that he was arrested and he's kind of put away just like Michael Myers and uh, he kills people with a knife. And so he's kind of being puppeteered by Pennywise and they use the, the, the kid that was a part of his outfit in the, in the 19, when they're in 1989 to help motivate him. And he's like driving around in this, uh, T-bird and that, that was just silly to me. Like him escaping yeah. and gets into that car. Like that felt stupid to me. I would have taken that out even though I, I, I understand why you would bring him back because it, it gets things going in a, in a certain way for Eddie's character. But I think there was like other things that they could have done to push him where, push Eddie where he needed to go. Yeah. It's, it's again, I think that an hour and a half should be deleted from this movie. And that's part of it. I thought Eddie Bauer's inclusion went nowhere other than to take up my time. You know, you're cause he's in the book again. And, but they his they utilized this character in this movie so poorly and it it doesn't make sense like there's no forward of his character at all other than just to show him fucking with the losers club again and there's other scenes like that too such as where the kids or adults are going under the sewer and they're in like a little body of water and then like something attacks them under the water for like 10 seconds and then 
never to be heard of again. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't forward any part of the story. And there's just so much of that in this three-hour bloated movie that it's just like I think about it now and I'm just like, oh, I'd like it less. <laughs> and it's just... Yeah, I, I, I feared that that would be how I'm going to handle or my relationship's going to be with this movie going forward is that I'm still like riding off the high of like the great moments. And I latched so much onto those great moments and that's all I'm thinking about. But I think over time, my score is going to drop further and further, especially as we further discuss this film. And after it's open to the public, because at the time that we're recording this, it's not out yet. And then more articles are going to come out and it's just going to bring, bring it down a little bit. But, uh, I'm curious. One, one of our colleagues, I won't mention names. They said, uh, they asked me what I would give this movie one out of a 10. And I said, Probably about a 4.5, maybe a 5 if I'm feeling generous. And they couldn't believe that I said I was, I was too harsh. And they said they would give this movie a 7.5. And I was like, oh, no way. Um, I, I can't give it that because it's not that good. <laughs> I gave it uh, 3.5 stars out of 5, which I guess is around a C score. So I feel pretty good about that, but I do feel that probably over time it's going to go down to probably a three. I, I still think that there's a lot of good things in it, and I'm and I'm focusing on those things, and I'm cherishing those things. Well, there you go. It Chapter 2, coming to theaters, or in theaters now as you listen to this probably. Um, let us know what you think, but I think that concludes our episode of My Bloody Podcast. Of course... We're on Spotify now. Go to Spotify, look us up. We're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio like before. And we'll be back next week with more horror goodness. I'm Brian Kluger with BoomstickComics.com and HighDefDigest.com. You can read my new review of um, Carnival Row, the new uh, live-action series on Amazon Prime, which is kind of like Game of Thrones and Seven and Sherlock Holmes put together. Which is pretty good. And of course... Uh, is that the one with Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne? Yes. Orlando Bloom plays kind of like a Sherlock's home character. But it's like Game of Thrones style. It's very... A lot of elves and mystical stuff set in kind of like a from hell type setting where Jack the Ripper would be around. And Orlando Bloom has a very gravelly Batman voice. So... It's very interesting. And there's lots of super violence and lots of sex in this show, just like Game of Thrones, but with fairies and all sorts of stuff. So if you're into that sort of thing, you're there. Um, And, of course, Preston Barta. Find him everywhere on the Internet and in life. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Preston Barta. And uh, you can find my writing in the Denton Record Chronicle, which is Denton, D-E-N-T-O-N rc.com i have a review the written review up for it chapter two as well as love and tosha which uh, i think i may have brought up before or maybe just talk to you brian about it but it's that documentary about anton yelchin yes, um, yes. and that's that's the movie that i'm recommending people see outside of horror um, even though it does focus on his experience on the remake of fright night which i liked um so, uh, yeah, find me on, in the Denton Record Chronicle, and also I'm the features editor of FreshFiction.tv. And so we're gearing up for 
Fantastic Fest, and James Cole Clay is currently at the Toronto International Film Festival, so he's going to be having a lot of content going up, including probably reviews of Joker and uh, Jojo Rabbit and things like that. And so I'm extremely jealous of him, but I'm also happy that he's there. There you go. We love Cole. I love Preston. I love this podcast, and I love you all listening. And we'll be back next week.